All right, guys, good morning. If we can, let's open up our Bibles to Acts chapter 4. Today we're looking at verses 1 through 22. And if you grab one of the church Bibles coming in, it's going to be page 9, 12, or 9, 13, somewhere right around there. Acts chapter 4, verses 1 through 22. As Jimmy already warmly welcomed, uh, my name is Kenson. I'm the honor of serving as our Bridgeport location pastor. And yes, any moment we're going to be experiencing baby number four. And this will be our fourth boy in the family. Yes. Okay, so... Uh, so in, in mid-sermon, if I start to run out, you guys will know why, all right? Just, uh, just so you guys know. Now, as you guys are turning to Acts chapter 4, just to remind you again, we are back in our message series, Explore God, and we're looking at seven, seven of the most common and pressing questions around the Christian faith. So far, we've talked about the purpose of life, is there a God, why is there suffering, and for today, we're going to talk about, is Christianity too narrow, okay? So Acts chapter 4, verses 1 through 22, uh, let me read the verses, and then we'll jump right in, all right? So starting at verse 1, page 9, 12, 9, 13 uh, in the church Bibles. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them, John and Peter here, and they put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who have heard the word believed, and a number of the men came to about 5,000. On the next day, the rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas and the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel, and by the name of Jesus Christ, that by the name of Jesus Christ, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. Verse 12. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What should we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in, in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they have further threatened them and let them go, finding no way to punish them. Because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. For the man of whom the sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. This is the word of the Lord. You know, there's an Indian parable about a king uh, and an elephant. You know, a king wanted to do an experiment, so he invited six blind men uh, to touch different parts of the ele elephant. So one blind man touched the side of the belly and thought, this must be a wall. Another blind man touched the tail and said, you know, this must be a rope. Another touched its tusk and believed that it was a spear. 
and so forth. So each man was sharing the perspective, and all of them were so convinced that they were right that they start to fight with each other. No, it's a wall. No, it's a rope. No, it's a spear, and they're all fighting. And then the king gets off his throne and says, hold up. You're all correct. It's an elephant, but you only each touched a part of the animal. You know, the moral of the story is that in order to know the whole truth, you have to put all the parts together. You know, I share this with you because this story is often used to help us understand, you know, all the diversity of beliefs around us and how to engage them. That the blind men represent different religions, and all these different religions have some part of the truth, but not all of the truth. And thus, because of that, we must be humble towards each other, tolerant towards each other, embracing of other worldviews. You know, of all the topics we're going to do for Explore God, this one is probably the most troublesome of the bunch. Because as a culture, you know, it's closed-minded and bigoted to ever say something like this. Christianity is the only way that unless you believe in what I believe in, you won't go to heaven. You know, my religion is right, yours is wrong. You just don't talk like that. You just don't say things like that. You know, today we're in Acts chapter 4, and the book of Acts records the first few decades of the early church and how it grew. And let me just give you some quick context to understand our verses better. So Jesus dies, resurrects, and ascends to heaven. And before he leaves, he commissions his disciples to spread the good news of the cross. So Peter, one of his closest disciples, does just that. He starts preaching and thousands of people believe and are baptized. Chapter 2. And in chapter 3, Peter and John are making their way to the temple to share more about Jesus Christ. And as they're making their way to the temple, they see a lame man who's in his 40s, you know, asking for a handout, sitting right outside of the temple. Now this layman would have been outside because the Jewish law kept them from going to the inside of the temple. Now Peter stops, looks at him and says, you know what, I don't have any money, but this is what I have. In the name of Jesus, walk, okay, pretty cool. And the guy walks and he starts dancing and all three of them, Peter, John and this layman, walk into this temple and it causes all this commotion because everyone recognizes that's the lame man, and he's walking and dancing. What's, what's going on here? So Peter doesn't waste opportunity, and he begins to preach. Repent of your sins, believe in Jesus, and you will be forgiven. And this gets us to Acts chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. The religious leaders get annoyed, and they arrest them. Because they know a movement is rising. Thousands are believing in Jesus Christ, and they wanted to crush it. Because what annoyed them, and frankly, what annoys us as a Western culture, is the claim in verse 12. Verse 12, again, salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Peter here, he, he's not mincing words. The only way you are forgiven of your sins, the only way you're made right with God, the only way you spend forever with God is through faith in Jesus alone. And this is not an isolated teaching. Now, if this was the only verse that said this throughout the entire Bible, maybe we can find ways to get around it. But this is a teaching that is affirmed over and over again throughout the Bible. Let me just share a few with you. John 14, 6, from the mouth of Jesus himself, says this. I'm the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 
Notice, not a way, not a truth, not a life, but the way, the truth, and the life. And in addition, if that wasn't clear enough, Jesus continues by saying, no one, no exception, no one comes to the Father except through me. 1 John chapter 5 says this, and this is the testimony that God give, gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. And 1 Timothy 2.5, for there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. The claim of Christianity is clear. There is only one way to God, and it's through Jesus Christ. Now, what I want you guys to see here is that Christianity is no more popular back then as it is today. Because back then, just like it is today, the Roman Empire welcomed many beliefs and religions. This is actually one of the ways that they were able to control the people that they conquered. That they would conquer them, but to give them some level of independence would say, all the gods you can believe in, you can hold on to them, you can keep your temples, you can keep your houses of worship. So there was, there was idol worship everywhere. That you saw temples for the god of war, god of fertility, you know, god of agriculture, temples for all the Greek gods. Christianity was born into one of the most diverse and pluralistic societies ever in history. And everyone back then, just like today, would hear verse 12 and say to the disciples, how dare you? How arrogant of you, how narrow of you. The hostility the disciples faced 2,000 years ago is no diff different than it is today. And also notice, notice this. In a world back then and also in today that claims inclusion, that claims a love for diversity of beliefs, it is still incredibly intolerant and exclusive to hold any position different than theirs. That the only thing that would not be tolerated is for you to ever say that you have the way. And can I just say, this is actually the problem with the Indian parable. Because the only way you can say that all beliefs are the same is that if you were the king, that if you were the king, that you were the one that saw above everything else, that you alone had the wisdom to say all you other religions and worldviews and beliefs, you all just have some of the truth, I know that it all makes up into one truth. Now, when you hear that, doesn't that sound really exclusive? That sounds pretty closed-minded. Can I dare say that it's almost arrogant to claim that you see everything and everyone else just sees a part of it? Do you guys see? To a degree, we are all holding exclusive beliefs, even for the most tolerant person in this room. So the issue here is not this. It's not who's narrow and who's not narrow in their beliefs. The better question you should be asking is who is right? Who is right? You know, to work through this, I want to answer through these three questions. Here are the three questions that are going to move us through the presentation. The first is this. Don't all religions basically teach the same thing? Second question. As long as I'm sincere about my beliefs, isn't that all that matters? And here's the third one. To say that there is no other way, isn't that being hateful? Okay? So here's the first question. Don't all religions basically teach the same thing? Because at the core, all religions teach you to be good people, to be good to others. And as long as we do that, we're all heading in the same direction. Let me just share with you how a few famous voices have put this. Uh, for example, Gandhi said this. The soul of religion is one. 
but is encased in a multitude of forms. Truth is exclusive property of no single scriptures. Oprah said this, one of the biggest mistakes humans make is to believe there is only one way. Actually, there are many diverse paths leading to what you call God. And here's my favorite one from the philosopher Homer Simpson. He said this, I'm going to die. Jesus, Allah, Buddha, I love you all. All religions are the same, right? They all lead to the same place. Here's the problem. All religions do not teach the same thing. On the surface, it might seem that way, but with just a little bit of research, a little bit of reading, just a little bit of Googling, you'll find out really fast that the differences in beliefs are massive and they contradict each other. Uh, let me just show you a chart that compares some of the world major worldviews and religions here, okay? Uh, let me just highlight a few of these things here. First, on the row on God, atheism believes in no God. Buddhism is unsure if there is a God or not. Hinduism believes in millions of God. Islam and Judaism believe in one God. Christianity believes in the Trinity, one God and three persons. Notice, these are not complementing beliefs. They are contradictory beliefs. You can't believe in one God and then believe in a million gods at the same time. Either one is right or all is wrong, but they all can't be true. If you look about the belief in Jesus, atheism says Jesus was either a myth or a religious teacher. Judaism says that he was a false prophet and certainly not God or the Savior. Islam says that he was a prophet but not God. But Christianity says he was more than a teacher, more than a prophet. In fact, he was and is God, the resurrected Savior of the world. Do you guys see? We can't say all religions are the same or teach the same thing because they don't say that. Now, a way that we can try to get around these, these truth claims is by making a small compromise. That maybe instead of saying there are many ways to God or that there's one way to God, you know, how about we compromise in the middle? And how about Christians? How about we just say Jesus is the best way to God? How about that? How about we just say that he's the best way to God? Now, in, in a way, this is what the council is trying to do with Peter here, Peter and John. Then in verses 7, 6, 17, and 18, they tell Peter and John, stop spreading the gospel. But notice, never once do they say what you believe is wrong, nor should you believe in something else. No. They're affirming you can be devout about your beliefs, but just don't be so excited about it as to share your belief with others. This sounds like a really good compromise. I can keep believing what I'm believing, as long as I, I just respect everyone else's belief and I kind of let them, let them do their own thing, Peter says here, no. Why? Because, and what we need to see here, Christ followers, is that when we minimize Jesus, the exclusivity of who Jesus is, we minimize everything else we value as Christ followers. First, to believe this is to minimize the urgency and necessity of sharing our faith. Why bother being courageous and bold when any faith will do. Why bother sharing our faith? Also, did you guys know that more Christians right now are dying for their faith on the mission field than ever before? And just to say that Jesus is the best way but not the only way would make their sacrifice so foolish and stupid. Why are you doing that when any way would do? Yeah, Jesus is the best way. He's the better way. But any way would do. They'll eventually get there anyway. Well, why risk your life for that? Or secondly, 
To believe this is to minimize the uniqueness and supremacy of Christ. Because to say that there are other ways is to say that there are others as good and loving and powerful as Jesus. That the cross and resurrection, you know, it was very nice for you to do Jesus, but it wasn't absolutely necessary. That the Bible is just one of many good holy books that point to salvation. When we compromise on the exclusive claims of Jesus, everything else we believe in gets compromised. Jesus is not the best path. He's not the same path as everyone else. He's the only path. Here's another question. As long as I'm sincere about my beliefs, isn't that all that matters? That as long as it's true here, that's all that counts. Here's the thing. We can be sincere about our beliefs and still be sincerely wrong. That when the playoffs began, I was very sincere that the Bears would be playing tonight, but my sincerity did not make that true, okay? I can be sincere that I can be just like Mike, but it doesn't mean that right now I'm going to go ahead and dunk a basketball. Sincerity is meaningless unless it's rooted in what is true. You know, if you notice here, the religious council doesn't care about the truth. It doesn't care about the evidence that's before them. Look at verse 16 and 17 again. So the council confers, and they say, what shall we do with these men? For a notable sign has been performed through them, is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. We can't deny this. But in order that they may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone else in his name. Now notice what they're saying here. This guy who's been lame for 40 plus years of his life, and we know this lame, this, this paralyzed man to be true, his condition to be true, what has happened to him is a miracle, but instead of spending one second just to ask, huh, could it be possible that Jesus really did this? They dismiss it all, and they don't care, and they recognize the lame man's been healed, but it doesn't matter. Peter and John, stop preaching. What are you talking about? A miracle has just happened. Thousands are believing in the name of Jesus. Hundreds are walking, hundreds of people are walking the streets of Jerusalem saying that they've encountered the resurrected Christ. And even right now in front of them, they have John and Peter who speak with such boldness and power that is nothing short of supernatural. Verse 13, and they, the council, perceived that they were uneducated common men. They were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. The PhDs, the MDivs, the doctorates, the awards sitting on this council would have been sky high. But here you have two uneducated common men who are saying things about God that astounded them. And nothing about this makes sense except for one thing. And they say from their own mouths, they spent time with Jesus. All roads are leading to Jesus, but these religious leaders simply don't care. Why? It's because of the very reason they're sitting on the religious council. It's because they love keeping their power more than surrendering to the truth. You know, the problem of hiding our faith behind our sincerity is that sometimes our sincerity can serve as a way of helping us to stay in control. That it's my feelings, my preferences, my comfort, the, the, the way I want to receive truth, that's what counts most. You know, I recently found out that one of the fastest growing religions in America is 
witchcraft. Did you guys know that? It's witchcraft. It's the occult. It's astrology, psychics, the presence of spirits in nature. You know, recently, you know, Marie Kondo, a Japanese consultant on organizing your life, right, she encourages you that before you sort anything, that you first knock on it to wake the spirit up. You just go ahead and just start knocking everything. And before you put anything away, you need to honor the life of that object. And can I just tell you, just through my Facebook feed alone, my friends are eating this stuff up. They are loving this stuff. Why? It's because we like being spiritual, but not necessarily religious. We like a faith that is user-friendly, we like a faith that is customizable. We like a faith that listens to us and not the other way around. And this is why the occult is so popular because there's an infinite way to customize it, to make it serve the way you want it to serve you. Sincerity works in much the same way. My feelings, my preferences, me comes before the truth. That even if all evidence is right in front of me, if I don't want to believe, I won't believe. I'll find reasons not to believe. And can I just say, this stuff happened all the time to Jesus. Not just to John and Peter, but to Jesus. That these religious leaders would huddle together and say, all right, you know, well, you know what, what can we do to Jesus to stump him? So they come up with a question. Jesus answers it perfectly. But instead of saying, hmm, maybe Jesus is who he says he is, they're like, all right, let's get back together. What's another question we can ask him? Um, hey, Jesus, uh, what should we do about taxes? All right, any, any of you guys have a coin here? All right, you know, whose face is on the coin? Caesar's. All right, well, give the Caesar's what is Caesar's and give the God what is God. Boom! Checkmate, right? Surely you have to believe Jesus is God. No. What happens? More questions. More questions. More questions. And this is the fundamental posture of our culture. I want to believe what I want to believe. I don't want people telling me what to believe. I don't even care where the evidence points. What matters most is what I believe. Now notice here, Peter and John, totally different. That before the council, they say in verses 19 and 20, in defending themselves, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Peter and John weren't zealous for Jesus and willing to be killed because they were just really sincere about their faith or, 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 or they were really naive about their faith. The reason that they're so passionate, the reason that they were so willing to die for their faith is because they knew the truth. They saw and they heard from Jesus himself. Friends, when it comes to our beliefs, the first question we should ask is not, you know, how does this make me feel, or, or what do I prefer, or what better agrees with my worldview? The question we should ask is, is it true? Is it worthy of my trust? If Jesus is the only way to salvation, it doesn't matter what your feelings are. It doesn't matter what your preferences are towards it. I know that sounds really, really hateful to say that, because it do, your feelings don't change the fact. If Jesus is the only way. And here's the final question. To say that Jesus is the only way, isn't that just really hate-filled? Isn't that just a hateful message? Now, I get this because when we say this, it naturally implies that there are some who are in and some who are out. That there are some who, that there are some who if they don't believe in Jesus, they don't go to God. And, and I know that when you hear that, that can sound so intolerant, so hateful. How dare you say something like that? But here's the thing. Just because you believe that Jesus is the only way, that does not necessarily alone mean that you're hateful if, if he really is 
the way to salvation, if it really is true. For example, imagine that I discovered the only cure for disease that is wiping out the entire world. So I start telling all you guys, hey guys, I got a cure that is killing you. Here's the medicine in my hand. It's all for you guys. But what if you guys pushed back on me and said, well, Kenson, you know what? Thanks, but I'm going to just go ahead and stick with my herbal remedies. Or, or how about I just look on Google and look at WebMD and see what they have to say. Or, or how about, you know what, like, Kenson, what works for you that doesn't really work for me? Now, how should I respond to it? I have the medicine in my hand that I know that can save you. It's been FDA approved. I know it works, okay? Now, should I just be like, you know, all right, you know, it sounds good, you know, no, no biggie, you know, to, to each their own, you know, that, that, that's, that's okay. No, no. I'm going to press, I'm going to push, I'm going to do everything I am to, to compel you. I'm gonna, if I really believe this is the only cure that can save, I'm going to tell you that. I'm going to tell you this treatment that you're receiving won't work. You will die. This is the only way. Now, am I being narrow-minded and hateful by doing this? Yes, if what I'm saying is an absolute lie. But if what I am saying is true and it will save you, this is the most loving thing I can do. Do you guys see? Holding an exclusive view does not make you hateful if it's truly, that's the key word, truly the good news that can bring hope and healing. You know, comedian Penn Jillette uh, from the pair Penn Teller, a well-known non-believer, if you go look on him on YouTube, he's blasting Christians all the time, explained how he responded to someone who shared the Bible with him. You know, this is what he said here. I don't respect people, notice here, that don't proselytize, who are trying to convert you. If you believe that there's a heaven and hell, and you think, well, it's not really worth telling them because it would make things really socially awkward, notice what he says next. How much do you have to hate somebody not to proselytize, to share your faith? If Christians really believe salvation is possible, heaven is real, that joy is for eternal, the most unloving thing I can ever do to you is stay silent. If I love you, I must speak up. I, I, I love you more than hurting your feelings. I love you more than how this might potentially impact our friendship. I love you. The most hateful thing I can do is to put myself before you and say, you know what, you're not worth the effort. This is too hard to do. I won't do it. That is unloving to do. For me to make the claims I make, if I really believe it to be true, you would expect me to love you in that way and to speak up. You know, at the end of the day, all these concerns we have with the exclusivity of Christ Christianity, at the end of the day, these are all very superficial. Because it doesn't matter who's narrow, you know, who's wide. It, it doesn't matter. The only question that matters for all eternity is simply this. Who has the power to save us? That's the only question that will ever, ever matter. Who cares if you're narrow or not? Just answer the question. Who has the power to save us? And friends, I'm here to tell you, his name is Jesus Christ. Verse 7 says this, And when they had set them in their midst, they inquired, the council asked them, By what power or by what name did you do this? When they ask for a name, they do so because to come in someone's name is to come in that person's authority. So the religious leaders ask, by what name did you heal this lame and paralyzed man? Jesus. By what name do thousands believe in? Jesus. By what name do you preach the way you do? 
Jesus. By what name has your life transformed from uneducated common men to men of the Holy Spirit? Jesus. And keep in mind here, this is the same Peter not too long ago that denied Jesus three times as he was going to the cross. And now Peter, very similar to when Jesus was being, you know, accused and when he's standing before the council, they're threatening his life, Peter's life. They're going to take, they're, they're going to they're put him in prison. But this time, Peter holds his ground. Why? It's because that he has learned that the name of Jesus is greater than his name. That the name of Jesus is greater than the human authority of these religious council. That the name of Jesus is more precious than his life. This is why they're going everywhere and anywhere speaking to anyone and everyone about Jesus. Because he's the only name that saves. Now, is the claim that Jesus alone saves exclusive? Yes, it is. But can I also tell you, it's also very loving and also very inclusive. Let me show you Romans 10, 13. It says this, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. When it says everyone, you don't need to be strong, smart, perfect, morally put together, a certain race, culture, age, born into a certain caste system. You can be weak, broken, poor, destitute, lame. You can be all these things and equally receive his grace and hope when you call on his name. Here's the question. Will you call out for help? Will you give up the throne of your life? That to me is probably the bigger question to ask. If anyone who believes in Jesus, that it's, it's that name that will heal you. It's that name that brings forgiveness. It's that name that brings us into entrance, into fellowship with God. It's his name that saves. When Peter says there is salvation in no one else, that is not a hate-filled message. He is telling the world there is finally hope for all of us. And his name is Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Let me just close with some challenges here. First is this. For those of us who are still spiritually seeking, I'm so glad that you're here with us. And keep pursuing the truth. I know that today I, I might have been very, like, very bold and confident, very clear about my statements. But the reason I did so is because I didn't want to mince my words. I wanted to really make sure that you knew where we stood as Christians around this. But I want to encourage you guys. Look at the evidence. You know, most likely today you came here because a friend brought you here. Look at their life and look at how it's changed. Ask them questions about their life. Study the truth claims. If Jesus said who he was, that if he is the son of God, if he is the creator, if he really did rise from the dead, if all the things written in the Bible about Jesus are true, then he must be the only way. Believe in him and entrust your life to him. You know, if Jesus said, didn't say these things, if he didn't live this life, then nothing, he's, then he, then nothing about him matters at all. But can I just tell you something? What we can't do with Jesus is kind of put him right in the middle, okay? Make him lukewarm. That for Jesus, he will not have the middle of your heart. That either you will treat him as Lord or you will treat him as a liar. Either you will crown him or you will kill him. Jesus doesn't give middle ground here, right? With the claims that he makes, you, we have to treat him either, either as king or not. And let me just say this. For those who are Christ's followers in the room, this is the challenge for you. Boldly proclaim Jesus. Now, the Super Bowl is tonight, and at some point in the game tonight with the high-powered offenses that we're going to see, Tom Brady or Jared Goff, just in case you don't know, they're the quarterbacks of these teams, okay? 
they're going to be standing in the red zone, all right, looking to score. And before they do that, they're going to huddle up, talk about what they need to do, come up with a play, break. Now, what instead of coming into formation, they all decide to walk back to the sidelines to relax, get some more Gatorade, you know, just, just to take it easy, right? The ref is going to call, like, delay of game. All right, fine, fine, fine. So the team goes back up. They huddle together. They talk some more. All right, that's a good play. Break. They go back to the sidelines to relax, be comfortable, take it easy, right? What would happen? You would boo them off the field. Why? Because the players don't go into the huddle to be inspired by their quarterback. They, they don't go into the huddle to enjoy each other's company. They go into the huddle so that they can get that ball into the end zone. Church today and every Sunday, this is our huddle. And the mission of Jesus is clear. Go into the world, go into the city, go into our neighborhoods and tell the good news that Jesus alone saves. Now some might not like it, some will find it intolerant, but keep sharing. Because the news is too great, the cure is too precious. Amen? Amen. Let's, let's bow our heads and pray. Father God, we thank you that you have made a way. That God, that we understand, Lord, just the gospel message. And God, how it was our sin that caused separation. Lord, how our sin that deserved wrath and condemnation and that there was nothing that we can do. That, Father, that it is in that hopeless situation where we all face. But it's because of your son, Jesus Christ, he steps into that hopelessness. He steps into that darkness. He steps into that pain. And he goes to the cross to bring an end to that. And he rises again so that we would have new life. Father, I pray that for all of us in this room, that the only name that we would ever call on would be on the name of Jesus Christ because his name is the one that will matter for all eternity, not our name. And Father, if there's any friends here today that are still seeking, that are still wrestling through these truth claims, that maybe for some of us here today, we're sitting here and maybe just the message itself is just kind of really rubbed us the wrong way. God, I pray that in your kindness, would you just bring about more clarity about who you are? The Father, that would you, in your kindness, help all of us to get off the throne of our lives and to put Jesus there alone. It's in his name we pray.